Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And you know, my friends, one of the really wonderful things about Bible study is that no matter how many times you may read a particular passage or study closely a particular verse, it seems that there is always something that you can glean from it that you had not thought of before, that you hadn't seen before. It may be that as you examine the text more closely, you may come across an idea expressed by a scholar that illuminates the meaning a little bit better for you. I had one such experience in the book of James. It had not really occurred to me before that the man of God is wonderfully described in James chapter 1. The term man is used more than a dozen times in the chapter, and the words he and him are used even more. And that is kind of unusual. Sometimes the terms refer to the man who is right, and sometimes they refer to a man who is under condemnation. But looking at the chapter in the whole, we find a lot about the man who is pleasing in the eyes of God. And for the rest of our time in this episode, I want us to observe some of the characteristics of the man of God set forth in this chapter because they are so timely and applicable to us. Looking at James chapter 1, let's notice the man of God as set forth in the chapter. The first thing we notice, it may appear to be obvious, but it needs to be mentioned. And that is the fact that the man of God, the man who is pleasing in his sight, is a child of God. He or she is a Christian. Just in the first chapter, we find the word brother or brethren in verses 2, 9, 16, and 19. Most translations use the word brother. Consistent with the rest of the New Testament, the man of God is a brother in the family of God. That is simply another way of saying that the man of God is one who has heard, believed, repented, confessed his faith in Christ, and been baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6, 26 and 27 states, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Furthermore, James chapter 1 and verse 18 indicates that the man of God is one who has been begotten by God through the word. Look at how the verse reads. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So in order to meet even the very first criterion to be a man of God, we must first be in his family. We must be part of the body of Christ. As we continue on in James 1, we find that the man of God must be one who stands. Let's see what I mean. Looking at verses 2 through 8, we read, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, 
that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with wind and toss. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Putting it simply, the man of God is one who stands for what is right and against what is evil. He is a person who stands the test of trials and is not like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed to and fro. He or she studies deeply, comes to the knowledge of the truth, and stands right smack there. My friends, the man of God or the person of God is the one who endures temptation. In verse 2, James wrote about falling into divers temptations and said that such should be counted all joy. But what does that mean? The word translated temptations there doesn't mean the same thing we most frequently think of when we think of temptations. It was not a seduction or enticement into sin, no. It is a trial or a testing that is directed to an end, and that end is that the one being tested will come out stronger and purer as a result. It is the same word that would be used to describe a young bird testing its wings. It really is a great and uplifting thought that James is expressing. All kinds of experiences come to us as Christians. There will be tests of sorrows, tests of disappointments, tests of persecutions, and many more that all might work to take our faith away. There will be tests of the world that will seek to lure us from God's path. There are and will be a lot of things that will test our faith. But they are not meant to make us fall away. They are meant to make us soar as eagles. They are not meant to defeat us. They are meant to be defeated. They are not meant to make us weaker. They are meant to make us stronger. That is why we are to rejoice in them. Looking at verse 12, James wrote, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. All of these trials and all of these tests of our lives are like a refining furnace. Each serves to remove the impurities and make us stronger. Ultimately, the great victory crown awaits. In the Greek, the Stephanos. And let me tell you about the Stephanos. It was a crown worn at festivals and weddings. A crown of great joy. And who has greater joy than the man of God? It was a crown that sometimes signified royalty. And no matter how humble the physical circumstances of a child of God, he or she is a child of God, and there is no greater position than that. And ultimately, it is the victory crown, and the child of God is sharing in the Lord's victory over sin and death. And of course, the Stephanos is a crown of honor and dignity. And what greater honor or dignity can there be than to know that we have been purchased with the blood of the Son of God? Let's consider now another element of the man of God described in James 1. The man of God is one who controls himself. Looking at verses 19 and 20, James wrote, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of God worketh not the righteousness of God. More and more I have come to understand that the man of God controls his ears, his mouth, and his heart. 
More and more I've come to understand that a man of God must be willing to listen and be slow to speak. In other words, the one that he wants to listen to should not always be himself. The book of Proverbs, many times we find the need to control our mouths to limit what we say. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19, we find, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In Proverbs 13 and verse 3, Solomon wrote, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Over in chapter 17 and verse 28, we read, Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise. And he that shuts his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Let's look at one more from Proverbs. Proverbs 29 and verse 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. I have come to learn as well that the the degree to which a person adheres to the precept of swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, in large measure indicates how stable of character that person really is. And I have also learned that the amount of respect folks tend to give our opinions and thoughts depends in a large degree on how much thought we have given our opinion and thoughts and not on how quickly we express them. Again, the man of God controls himself. Another attribute we see of the man of God in James 1 is that he or she has been cleansed and stays that way. Look with me at the admonition from James chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, The king therefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The phrase superfluity of naughtiness, while it is expressing the thought very well, is a little bit out of date. So let me read the verse from the New American Standard. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. A man of God is cleansed of his sins by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of the Lord's blood and our contacting that blood in baptism, there is no cleansing. It is up to the individual to do what is required of him or her to have that cleansing. And so Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. However, once cleansed, the man of God must continue to work at it. And by using the word that he used for filthiness, it is as though James is doing everything in his power to show just how loathsome, vile, and nasty sin is. God regards sin as a filthy rag, disgusting and sickening. And that is how the man of God must view it as well. A man of God will stay as far away from it as is possible. And if he or she misses the mark and sins, he or she will immediately repent of that sin, confessing it to God and asking for forgiveness. There is a tendency now among Christians to attempt to minimize the seriousness of sin, the awfulness and the abhorrent nature of it. I was at a preacher's study concerning evangelism among those with no church affiliation, and the one conducting the study suggested perhaps it was time to remove the word sin from our vocabularies when talking to such people, replace it with less offensive terms or terms that they more readily understand. 
I believe instead that people need to be taught what sin is, how serious a matter it is, what the consequences of it are if not forgiven, and how one goes about getting it forgiven. The man of God really understands what sin is about. Now, staying in James 1, verse 21, we see another characteristic of the man of God. He or she is receptive to the word. James wrote, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Or, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. James there was talking about the man of God having what I'm going to call a truly teachable spirit. Not everyone has that. The truly teachable spirit is the one that is humble enough to know that we don't know everything. The teachable spirit is without resentment and without anger and is therefore able to face the truth even when it hurts and condemns. My friends, I think you might be surprised by how many people get downright angry if they feel that a sermon has pertained to them. The truly teachable spirit is not blinded by its own overpowering prejudices, but is open-minded to the truth. The truly teachable spirit is not lazy, but knows that it takes real effort to learn and will willingly and faithfully accept the responsibility, the discipline of learning. Tell you what, let's stay there in verse 21 and notice more carefully another attribute and that is the attribute of meekness, also translated as humility. This is one of the more difficult words to define. It is tough to express exactly what it meant when it was used by the New Testament writers. What is clear is that it is used in verse 21 by James as the opposite of hearing in anger. Let me give you an overall idea of what it means to be meek. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary, meekness is an inward wrought grace of the soul, first and chiefly toward God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. In the context of James chapter 1 and verse 21, it is talking about how a person receives the word of God, how a person reacts to the word of God. We have seen people walk out in anger when the discipline that God calls for was being read about and exercised. That is the absolute opposite of receiving with meekness the word of God. I guess we can say that this meekness is talking about the inward control of everything in us that would prove to be a hindrance to seeing, learning, loving, and obeying the truth. The man of God accepts the teaching of God's word as good without disputing it or without resisting it. Let's move on now in James 1 and read verses 22 through 25 where we will see that the man of God is one who hears and does what God tells him or her to do. Those verses say, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholds himself, and goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The wisdom of being a hearer and a doer is pointed out by the Lord as he brought the great Sermon on the Mount to a close. Do you remember how Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount? Let's read Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. 
Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that hears these sayings of mine and does not do them shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I don't know how it could be made any clearer than that. The man of God makes personal application of the word of the Lord. He hears it, and with the mindset that simply asks, Lord, what would you have me to do? He does it. There's something else that we can see about the man of God from James 1. It is that he is what he seems to be. Look at verse 26 where James wrote, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. There is no deception, no game playing, no fake sincerity with the true man of God. What you see is what you get, period. Religion is vain when it seeks to please the individual and not God. A person can seem to be oh so very religious, oh so loving and kind, and yet be doing it for himself or herself and refuse to truly submit to God's revealed will. The man of God is not a great pretender. Finally, let's look at verses 27 of James 1. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The man of God in James 1 is an individual who really cares about others and shares with them if they need what he has. Such an individual has a benevolent spirit and looks to provide these needs himself. He also seeks diligently to keep himself unspotted from the world. In other words, he doesn't try to get as close to sin as he can. He or she makes every effort to cling to God and not the world. What a picture. This is the kind of man that the man of God truly is. He is not pictured as a ruler on earth, not as a mighty man of personal wealth or power. He is a Christian who stands for what is right. He has control over himself and lives a clean, upright life. He receives the word of God with a receptive heart, recognizing that God's dealings with him are good. When he hears the word of God, he responds, and there is no phoniness about him. He is what he appears to be. His love of God and others is manifested in his actions. He is benevolent and strives to remain as unstained by the world as possible. That is the type of individual that we all can be. Words to consider. Thanks for listening.